This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Breckenridge with you on the Chorus Radio Network. Uh, when it comes to uh, COVID-19 and the coronavirus that causes uh, COVID-19, obviously it's important to understand how this is transmitted and how best then to keep environments safe and how best to keep one another safe. And we do have a, a fairly good understanding uh, when it comes to, to this virus and, and how it is spread through droplets, uh, whether that be coughing or even singing or shouting or talking, how they can release droplets and then how those droplets can affect others, infect others. Uh, and certainly that has shaped some of the conversation around mask wearing and where that can provide some benefit or even things like physical distancing, preventing the droplets from emerging and keeping a safe distance from them. But what about the question of airborne transmission? And, and that's a potential big concern. Now, there are some viruses that are truly airborne viruses, and those are very, very contagious, uh, like measles or, or even like smallpox. So there was a letter from 239 doctors and scientists urging the World Health Organization uh, to, to take a more serious approach to this question and acknowledge that there is some emerging evidence as to airborne spread of this virus. Today, the WHO acknowledging that there is some emerging evidence on this front. But what does that actually mean, uh, both in terms of understanding how this is spread and in terms of what our, our response needs to be? Well, joining us uh, for some further thoughts on some of these pretty important questions, very pleased to welcome to the program here this afternoon, Dr. John Conley, who is Medical Director for the W21C Research and Innovation Center at the University of Calgary. He's an infectious disease expert and has been consulting with the WHO throughout this pandemic. Dr. Conley, thanks so much for joining us here today. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Uh, First of all, I want to understand what it is we're talking about here, because airborne transmission as kind of a technical meaning when it comes to viruses, but it's also a more informal way maybe of of describing how some viruses are spread. So what what is it we're talking about here? I think what we're talking about is um, the issue of whether the uh, uh, virus that causes COVID-19, the SARS coronavirus 2, can be present in very fine um, uh, aerosols, uh, like a the, the very, very fine, not the droplets that you can see when somebody coughs, sneezes, or if they're shouting and you get droplets that you can see flying out when some mouth can it be in just regular, you know, uh, respiration. Uh, if you think about when you, when it's winter and you uh, blow out in the cold air, you can see a little plume of, you know, humidification. Is there virus present in that type of a, of a breath that could infect an individual? And I think that's uh, what some people are uh, trying to make claims for, but it's really not compatible with the evidence. Uh, I think this is not new. This has been going on since the beginning of the 
pandemic since February where people were raising this question. So it's a little bit of a um, making a mountain out of a mohill uh, in some respects. And, uh, you know, measles as a reproduction number, it can infect uh, 12 to 18 people. That's a true airborne virus. This one is in the range of about two to two and a half, very similar to influenza, very similar to the common cold virus. So it's just not in the same league. Right. Um, when it comes to droplets, and, and my understanding, then obviously the larger the droplet, the the quicker it, it falls to the ground, basically. So, so smaller droplets can linger in the air a little bit longer. Correct. Uh, but that would also speak then, I guess, to to how much virus would be in in those droplets, uh, et cetera, right? So the, it's it's all very relevant in terms of of risk and and spread. Then, yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head uh, in terms of you know how much virus would be present. So if you've got someone that uh, is you know sneezing and you can see all those droplets flying out, or somebody coughs, or <clears throat> they're shouting, and you can actually see the droplets flying out. Those would contain uh, larger amounts of virus. We know that with this particular COVID-19, samples of virus can show, uh, of saliva, for example, can show, you know, uh, 10 to the 2, 10 to the 3 logs of uh, of virus uh, platforming units per per, uh, milliliter of saliva. So definitely we can see that. But it's been very, very difficult and not a single study to date has been able to show the presence of uh, cultivatable live virus of the COVID virus in any of those fine, uh, you know, breath samples that might come out of uh, somebody outside of uh, the large droplets. So that's the difficulty. And if they were there, they would be prone to getting dried out. uh, um, And, uh, you know, the likelihood that it's floating in a room, you then go in the room, breathe the air, and then develop COVID, uh, uh, very, very unlikely compared to if you uh, were in that uh, one meter range where somebody had a big sneeze or a cough and you got blasted from the cough or the sneeze, uh, that's a much bigger inoculum than you're going to ever find. Uh, if you do actually find anything within a room where somebody was in there breathing the same airspace, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, we we have had examples. There's the the, the incident uh, with the uh, choir rehearsal in Washington State uh-huh. back in uh, I think it was early March. Yeah, um, in Skagit County and in, in Washington State, absolutely. Right. So because that often gets referred to as as airborne, but the idea of having people in a room and in close proximity all singing. Uh, obviously, then droplets are are being expelled into the air and could be circulating in that room. I mean, how how do we describe that kind of transmission potential? Yeah, no, that's a great uh, example to bring up. And I think when you look at that in detail, and I'm quite familiar with that, uh, there were a number of people um, that were within the choir. They were shoulder to shoulder. Uh, it was a very long choir practice, something in the order of three hours. Uh, they also congregated together beforehand to set up chairs, to pull down chairs. They had a break. They were mingling during the break. And uh, there was many, many opportunities for close contact. Uh, remember, if you're in a choir, you're often with friends. There may have been hugging, uh, handshaking, uh, other um, mechanisms by which the virus could be easily transmitted. We know from other studies that have been done, if you... Uh, cough or sneeze into your cupped hands. Uh, Studies have been done right here in Alberta and they show up to, uh, you know, uh, 
2,000 plaque-forming units of, of infectious virus in those cupped hands, and you went and shook somebody's hand or gave them a, a peck on the cheek, uh, you're inoculating that person. So I think it's very difficult to distinguish in that choir practice between events that might have been regular inoculation events from mm-hmm. hand or close, trans- close contact transmission versus something that was floating around in the air that people were breathing in while they were singing. And uh, that's a difficulty with that particular uh, setting to be able to try and determine what was the uh, actual mechanism of transmission. Right. Another example, it's received a lot of attention, this situation uh, in January, a restaurant in China. There was apparently one diner who was, was ill. Nine other people got the disease, although several dozen diners who were there didn't, uh, other staff who were there didn't. But concern about, uh, again, you know, droplets in the air and, and potentially, you know, the air conditioning, right? The, mm-hmm. the airflow contributing to, to the problem. I mean, that, that's one example, obviously, but what can we glean from that? You know, that's another example where it has to be looked at in context. Uh, There was an air conditioner that was blowing, and I think the uh, individuals that are claiming that this is, uh, you know, floating in the air was the fact that the people who were downwind from this individual picked up the uh, COVID-19, those that were not, uh, or on the other side of the restaurant, which was not in the sort of direction of the air conditioning unit, didn't pick it up. But remember, when you look at the diagram from this particular study, which I'm very familiar with the, the tables were a, a meter to less than a meter apart there were people who have to get up go to the washroom uh, we know that there might have been utensils um, the, uh, you know moving from one table to another with respect to the food so it's again very difficult to um, distinguish could this have been contact person to person transmission uh, or was this just purely from the air conditioning unit and again trying to distinguish that it makes for a good theory uh, but there's no definitive proof to be able to show that this is spread by aerosol Uh, I suppose it's always possible but uh, there are many other means by which the transmission could have occurred. And that's one of the things that the investigators have overlooked uh, when they look at this. And if you look at the diagrams of how the tables are arranged, I know they're trying to come up now with some video footage to show that nobody intermingled. But I don't know how you could sit in a restaurant for an entire right. evening and not have to get up to go to the washroom. It's just not plausible in my mind. I do wonder, I mean, about the question of, of airflow and if that's something that, that needs to be addressed in indoor settings. I mean, obviously, people are back in restaurants. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll have, uh, you know, young people back in school this fall. Maybe people now starting to return to office towers, et cetera. Do we just, you know, to be on the safe side, want to make sure that, that we're not that we don't have airflow issues? Right. Is, is that a safety concern? Not generally. Most of our buildings are very well ventilated. I know in our hospital settings, uh, they're mandated to have a, you know, between six and nine air exchanges per hour. Many modern buildings also mm-hmm. have um, well ventilated spaces. Um, uh, if theoretically, it's possible if you had, um, and one of the things that uh, many of the recommendations from uh, public health agency, Alberta Health Services, WHO, you know, avoid large, uh, crowded gatherings. If you think of uh, an individual who would be in very close contact, uh, you're within, uh, you know, six to 12 inches of another individual and you're talking away, uh, it is possible that you're going to have small amounts of spittle or other things that are going to fly. And if you were developing the uh, coronavirus, uh, 
you can have that type of transmission. And that's um, one of the things that has occurred in large crowds. And then they talk about in the U.S. with the uh, beach parties and the bars that are opening, many people who are in bars and in settings there, um, you know, getting a little inebriated. They get very close and uh, personal with their uh, individual um uh, drinking mates and uh, who knows how the transmission is occurring in that setting. You've got many other opportunities for a very close contact to be able to have that type of droplet transmission or through handling of, of glasses or fomites or utensils and other things. Uh, and remember that the studies have shown if you cough or sneeze into your hands and you've got the beginnings of a viral respiratory, you're carrying a fair amount of virus on your hands and you can easily transfer it over to the other individual. Well, some important insight, Dr. Conley. Uh, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Really appreciate this. You're welcome. Bye all right, now. all the best. Uh, Dr. John Conley is uh, uh, with the University of Calgary, medical director at the uh, W21C Research and Innovation Center, also uh, been consulting with the World Health Organization through this pandemic, is an infectious disease expert and an MD and, and a researcher. So um, he cautions not to make too much of this. Right, that we, we have some fairly good understanding of how this virus is spread. Right? There is that potential that smaller droplets can linger in the air longer, but at the same time, then that's, that's less virus, uh, less of a viral load that those are carrying. So some interesting points from him there. Our number in Calgary, 403-974-8255 in Edmonton, 780-496-0063. My name is Rob Breckenridge. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.